You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Walk. Hello my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. Did you know that walking is one of the best exercises? It is natural and keeps one fit. In an urban environment, some people use walking machines. Although to walk in the outdoors is much more pleasant, except, of course, in inclement weather. At one time, with our three children, my wife and I went on a family caravanning holiday to Queensland staying for several days near Mackay. Unfortunately, a cyclone came in and we were forced to leave prematurely, although we did make a visit to the Angela National Park further inland. Typically, it was damp, and as we strode along the forest trails, someone felt something on their ankle. It was a tiny leech, and that leech had many cousins all of whom were busily sucking blood from various ankles. Our second son panicked and took off running. Our calls for him to wait went unheeded, and we wondered if we'd ever see him again. Fortunately, he reached a clearing where paths emerged, and there he stopped and waited. The leech passengers stayed with us up to that point, and as I took off my shoes at my joggers, there, having wormed its way through my sock, was one leech still attached to my foot. My shoe was all bloody inside. That rubbery predator was removed and found itself ground into the gravel path under my heel. Life is a journey, a journey through relationships, a journey through time, a journey through decisions, through activities, a journey of ideas, and a journey of beliefs. That journey is often described as a walk. The definition of a walk is a route marked out which one follows. We all walk different paths that intersect with others from time to time. It is at those intersections that life becomes more interesting. When we look at this life journey as Christians, we see different paths, including the spiritual paths, that lead us to God through Jesus Christ. Whether we are Christian or not, our walk begins when we are born and continues through our life. The choices we make at the crossroads of life determine the final destination. There are at least six identifiable walks of life. The first is what is known as the walk of sin. Sin is basically selfishness, and at some stage or another, everyone sins, and that's the way of mankind. Romans 3 verse 23 plainly says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Some never exit this path. 
They continue on it for their whole lives, despite God bringing everyone to a place of choice to seek him or not. At some point in life, and there may be many, people come to a fork in the road and must choose. Do I follow Christ or do I reject him? If they reject him, they won't ever get off this first path. The Apostle Paul pulled no punches when he wrote about this way or this walk of life. Here's what he said from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Paul describes this way of life like being dead. And I suppose that's a good description because the way of sin is the way of death. You live a while, then cease to exist. To me, that's pointless. One thing where this particular reasoning makes sense is that you live and then die. Some religious people in both Christianity and other world religions have come up with the false doctrine that you live but at death keep on living in another form, in another place. The Bible's quite clear about what happens to sinners. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4 and repeated in verse 20, God instructed the prophet Ezekiel to write, The soul that sins, it shall die. Many thoughtful people have asked the question, What is the purpose of life? The only half-reasonable answer most have to that question is that we live in order to procreate, to continue the human race. But that too is meaningless because there is no final destiny point. The reason about living in order to preserve the race is circular, like saying, I work in order to buy a car to get to work. There has to be something more glorious, more magnificent, more permanent than living just to preserve the human race. The Bible provides that answer, and we'll come to that later. Now, the second walk is walking in hope. The second path begins when a person starts to question this life, seeking something better. That person may ask, Is this it? Is there more to this life? Why do I not feel fulfilled? Something is missing. When people begin to question and seek, the Lord offers opportunities for them to find him. They still may be influenced by Satan to reject Christ while they are weak because Satan is the enemy always opposing the work of God. But many do choose the path of Jesus Christ. They recognize their sins. They repent and accept Jesus as Savior. This is the path of hope. It is where a person is walking to Jesus Christ. The path of hope involves a possible change. Albert Einstein once said, 
If you always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. Some people, of course, are afraid to change, but you should not be afraid of being different. Being afraid of being the same of every being afraid of being the same as everyone else isn't really very frightening. Being different. Isn't a bad thing. It means you're brave enough to be yourself. It takes nothing to join the crowd. It takes a lot to stand alone. Walking in hope means you have some greater goal, some greater expectation. For me, that hope is more like reassurance. That if I am faithful to my Lord Jesus Christ, I will be given eternal life. Now the next walk is walking in faith. When someone makes a decision and a commitment to Christ, they begin to walk by faith. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter five and verse seven, "We walk by faith, not by sight." Someone who's walking by faith is not looking at the things of this world. They place no importance on the things of this world, but rather they seek Jesus Christ to overcome the world. When we walk the path of faith, we are walking with Jesus Christ. We follow Him as disciples to learn all He has to teach us. So that we can come to fullness of life in Him, the Apostle Paul had this to say: "I pray that you will walk or live in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God." Faith involves both trust. And commitment. It involves obedience to God's will. Although there are some people who maintain that you only have to believe. That's all. But Jesus said there is more. In John fifteen ten, he stated, "Now remain in my love. You remain in my love if you keep my commandments. You will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commandments." And remain in His love. He also said, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Walking in faith includes a personal responsibility. Now, I've heard someone say, "If you give your heart to the Lord, He does everything for you. You're not required to make personal efforts in order to fight temptation and sin. Christ does it all for you." Those statements I just quoted from Jesus don't say that. They say that each person must make personal effort to please God. The concept that Christ does it all, and you don't have to do anything, is known as cheap grace. The Gospel of John records an incident where the Jewish leaders and the teachers of the law brought to Jesus a woman taken in adultery. To see if he would condone stoning her, as was the custom back then, 
But Jesus forgave her by saying, Neither do I condemn you. And then he said, Go and sin no more. That's from John chapter 8 verse 11. On another occasion, Jesus healed a crippled man in Jerusalem near the pool of Bethesda. A little later, following the healing, Jesus met the man at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse will happen to you. And that's from John 5.14. Somehow it appears that the cheap grace people have overlooked that one needs to make an effort and a commitment to do the Lord's will. Not that you will never do wrong again, but that you will work at maintaining your own salvation. So what is the truth about God's commandments being nullified at the cross? The truth is that God's holy law, the Ten Commandments, which are holy and just and good and everlasting, remain in force, as Jesus said in Matthew 5.18. Here are his words. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is fulfilled. It was the ceremonial law that was no longer needed because Jesus was the perfect and ultimate sacrifice. Animal sacrifices were no longer needed. There are two other significant statements in the New Testament that we should not overlook. The first is in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 19. It says, Circumcision is nothing. An uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's law is what counts. And then there is another statement in 1 John 5 verse 3. This is love for God that we obey his commands. Does that sound like you just sit back and do nothing in regard to your salvation? No, not at all. The Christian life includes involvement and personal effort. Well, we go on with the next walk straight after the break. Jesus is the sweetest name I 
Well, the next walk is walking in the Spirit. After Christ died, the Holy Spirit was poured out, commencing at Pentecost. And then, elsewhere, as the apostles and disciples spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by walking in the Spirit that we are given power to overcome in the flesh. It's not our power, but the power of God working through the Holy Spirit, working in us. As Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he said, Walk by the Spirit, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we are walking in the Spirit, the nature of Christ is being formed in us, and so we are walking in Jesus Christ. God has given the Holy Spirit to guide, lead, and teach his people. As is said in John 14, verse 13, Jesus is talking, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will tell you things to come. I understand and believe that it is the Holy Spirit who brings us to make decisions to accept and follow Jesus. I believe the Holy Spirit leads us to live wholesome, helpful, holy lives. And I believe that he empowers us to do things and to live to promote the work of God in the sphere of our influence. Without walking in the Spirit, our lives as Christians would be dry, formal and lifeless. In the Spirit, we become passionate, enthusiastic and energetic for the things of God. Now, there are some religious organisations that teach that people must speak in tongues to be saved. They say that is essential because it shows the Holy Spirit has come into your life. Do not believe it. It is a false doctrine. The genuine gift of tongues is the ability to speak a known language different to your native language in order to teach people of a different language group about Christ. The common practice of speaking in tongues is gibberish and serves no spiritual purpose. I believe that this practice is not of God, but instead comes from another spirit. Some say they are speaking the language of angels, but when you listen to them, they are jabbering away in all sorts of languages. One would think that angels speak one, not thousands of languages. Sad thing too is that the so-called tongue speakers have no idea of what they're uttering. Tell me, what is the sense in that? God is a God of order. The Apostle Paul instructed the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 14.40, Let all things be done decently and in order. So when people are jabbering away in so-called tongues, it is totally disorderly. 
it is more like a rabble of confusion. Yes, we need to walk in the Spirit, but not like that. Don't fall for the lie that it is essential to speak in tongues to be saved. Well, now we come to the fifth walk, walking in love. This path is the walk of love, where we think, act, behave, reason and live in the image of God. In this walk, we learn to walk as Jesus walked when he was upon this earth. This is the final stage of maturity for a Christian, to be perfected in Jesus Christ. This is essential, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The only true perfection that exists is in the image of the Father, for God is love. The outstanding characteristic of when someone becomes a Christian is that they are, as explained by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6.15, a new creature. It is my opinion that a true Christian cannot be hard, uncaring, unthoughtful, selfish and inconsiderate of others. The attributes of our loving God and the fruits of the Spirit become infused into the Christian's life so that the Christian becomes kind, thoughtful and loving, well disposed towards others. No, it doesn't happen overnight, but like a plant growing, it does happen. Well, the last of the walks in life that I want to share with you today is walking in the light. Walking in the light refers to living according to the truth as revealed in the Bible. It refers to keeping God's commandments. It refers to accepting the grace of our loving God who gave his own life to save us from our sins. It refers to living in a responsible manner and doing what we should do. It refers to being on the inside what we are on the outside. It means that what we say is what we do. In Isaiah 22 verse 5, the Lord made an appeal to the people of Israel back then. He said, Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. A similar appeal was made to people of the New Testament times and beyond. It is found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, and it says, If we claim to have fellowship with him, that's God, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if you walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. And John continues this theme in Second John, verses 4 and 6. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, 
And this is love that we walk in obedience to God's commands. As you've heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Well, we've had various walks of life to think about in this program. First is the walk of sin. That is a dead-end way of life. Shakespeare described it this way. Life is but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Then there's the walk of hope, where someone begins to realise that, that there is more to life than just the here and now. And that is followed by the walk of faith, where someone comes to the point where they can know that God himself has done something to solve the sin problem. Our sins can be forgiven through Jesus and a reward is there for those who are faithful. When someone is truly converted, they will experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit and guidance. That is part of the Christian's life. It gives direction and purpose for life. This is the walk of the Spirit. Ultimately, a person who is led by the Spirit will exhibit characteristics of love towards God and others. Genuine Christians are like that. This is the walk of love. And finally, and overarching is that Christians will walk in the light of God's will, according to his holy word. I'd like to finish today with two Bible quotes. The first is from Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, and it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And the second quote is from Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and it says this He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So my friends, where is your walk taking you? To eternal happiness with the Lord? or to a few short years and then nothing. It's worth thinking about, eh?